0: Hi, folks, and welcome to the 48th podcast edition of Weber's Whipping Post, coming to you from sunny Arizona. I understand I had some technical difficulties last week, and I have to apologize for the sound quality. I had some uh, malfunctions in my equipment, but I think I've got that all fixed up now. Hey, today's podcast is called Voting for Biden, but before I begin, let's pay some bills. This podcast is brought to you by Hoffman Chiropractic Neurology, celebrating 30 years in practice. Dr. Hoffman specializes in general musculoskeletal conditions, neurology, sports injuries, acupuncture, electrodiagnostics, and comprehensive wellness management. Dr. Hoffman's goal is to provide all patients a tailored treatment plan based on an extensive history, a thorough exam, and x-rays. Contact Hoffman Chiropractic Neurology for more information or to schedule an appointment. That number is 815-937-0446. Well, I guess it was inevitable that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis would drop out of the race for president, but I was surprised by his timing before the New Hampshire primary. We should have been Haley pulling out. Anyway, it was great that DeSantis supported Trump, especially after all of Trump's absurd name-calling. I have to say I was surprised he couldn't get more traction, that is, DeSantis, as I do think he is a presidential timber. Had Trump not run, I would have supported DeSantis. With his suspension announcement, he also warned that a vote for Nikki Haley is a return to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism. He stated, correctly in my opinion, of Haley, the days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology, are over. I don't think it will happen, but I would welcome a Trump-DeSantis ticket. It gives America four years to get used to DeSantis for a 2028 run at the presidency. Now that Trump has won both Iowa and New Hampshire, which no Republican presidential candidate has done, perhaps it's time for Ms. Haley to drop out as well so that Republican Party can rally around Trump. For the record, this next item does not come from me actually watching a Rachel Maddow or MSNBC program. Never have, never will. But I did find an article online about this event. Maddow refused to air Trump's victory speech after he won the state of Iowa caucus, thus censoring a former president. She claimed a network forced her to because it couldn't air untruths. Maddow and MSNBC, I should say, didn't have any problems with broadcasting mistruths when they both went hook, line, and sinker in on the Trump-Russian collusion and subsequent witch hunt, spewing this friggin' lie for over four years nor her mistruth when she proclaimed the COVID vaccine prevented transmission from person to person. She was wrong. Excuse my French, but the bitch is a perpetual liberal lying machine and shouldn't have a platform like MSNBC. Last Thursday, CNN was reporting that GOP senators were seething because Trump blew up delicate immigration compromise. Mitt Romney was one that was particularly critical, but who really cares what falls out of Mitt Romney's mouth? Am I the only person glad Romney didn't get elected? Anyway, they reported Trump's reason was that he didn't want to give Biden credit for being in office when the compromise was reached, preferring to use it as a point against Biden in the presidential election. I'm going to go out on a limb here as saying I really don't think that was Trump's reason. And it is more news fabrication by CNN. I may be proven wrong, but I don't think so. You see, at the same time CNN was reporting this, Fox News said nothing about it. At the same time, it has been reported that Trump was urging states to come to the aid of Texas Governor Greg Abbott against the federal government over the use of barbed wire at the border. He even called on states to send their national guards to Texas. My hunch is that Trump. May have been against the immigration compromise, not because of an election trick, but because the compromise included sending a chunk more of American taxpayer dollars to Ukraine, which Mitch McConnell is all for and Alan Weber is all against. Perhaps we will know more by the time you hear this podcast, but remember, you heard it here first, or didn't in the case I'm wrong. In March of 1988, 45 year old Elizabeth Senate was murdered in her home in Alabama. She had been stabbed eight times in the chest and twice in the neck. Her husband, the Reverend Charles Sennett, had paid two men $1,000 each to kill her so he could collect on the insurance. A week after her murder, the Reverend killed himself. Imagine that conversation at the pearly gates. Anyway, 35 years later, it's Kenneth Smith's turn to finally be executed for his crime on Thursday, January 25th, His accomplice, John Parker, was executed in 2010. He must not have had his good lawyer. If Alabama does what it wants, Smith will be the first person ever put to death with nitrogen gas. Smith was actually on the executioner's table last November for a lethal injection, but the administrators were unable to find a vein due to Smith's size. So he changed his mind that he wanted the nitrogen gas. Well, Smith and his lawyers have now changed their mind again and don't like the idea of nitrogen gas either. His lawyers have asked a federal appeals court to block the execution due to untested methods. It involves a respirator mask that will replace his breathing air with pure nitrogen. Now, James Barber, who was scared to be executed within the same 30-hour window, at the same correctional facility as Smith, has filed a similar injunction. Seems neither convict wants to go first. We will know more by the time you have heard this podcast and has an update. I understand Mr. Smith has been sent to whatever's beyond for him.
1: Weber's Whipping Post will be right back. A.N. Weber Incorporated is a proud sponsor of Weber's Whipping Post. Now in their 76th year, Weber has offices in Kankakee, Illinois, Nashville, Tennessee, El Paso, Texas, and Chandler, Arizona. Whether you're looking for company equipment to haul your dry van or flatbed freight or logistics services for all types of freight or even a career in driving, maintenance, or sales, call Mark Tedford at 815-939-2235. You can also apply online at anweber.com. Weber has immediate openings for drivers in all areas and mechanical technicians in Kankakee, Illinois and El Paso, Texas. Weber is also looking for logistics agents across the country. Again, call Mark Tedford at 815-939-2235 or apply online at anweber.com. And now, back to Weber's Whipping Post.
0: Maryland rocket scientist Jamie Raskin has his Trump voters all figured out. This is the moron who was on the J-6 committee that lied to us, and one of the managers on one of Trump's impeachments. Who cares which one? They were both shams. He made a statement in 2021 that read, As chair of the Oversight Committee's Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Subcommittee, I've helped lead the Oversight Committee's painstaking investigation into violent white supremacy over the last two years. White Supremacy. The Department of Homeland Security has declared domestic violent extremism is the number one security threat in the country. White supremacy. Number one threat, huh? Yeah, right, you friggin' pinhead. You must be as senile as your leader, Biden. Raskin is also, in records objecting to Trump's 2016 election due to Trump's alleged ties to Russia. So just to double down on all this stupidity, He now says us supporters of Trump are members of a religious cult who have no critical thinking skills left. The son of a bitch seems to be wrong on everything that falls out of his pie hole. What do you guys think, hat of the month material? Have you ever thought about the unbelievable that could happen next November when someone like Biden or Harris steals another election? Worse, what if someone like Mike Obama gets elected? You know, the man possibly posing as Obama's wife, who was never proud of his or her country until his husband Obama got elected? Side note, has anybody ever seen a picture of Michelle pregnant? Well, I have thought about it, and fortunately, Blaine Batchelor of CNN has done the homework for us where it might be a good place to live while America continues its march towards socialism. He states the best places to go as an expatriate are Italy, Mexico, Portugal, Spain, the Netherlands, Germany, Singapore, Costa Rica, Panama, and France. Baxter points out that the rise of remote work, visa programs, and tax incentives allow people more paths to explore. He also states doing a deep dive into tax implications, work visas, quality of life comparisons, language, and in my mind, the biggest concern would be the health care system. Mexico was listed as first on the list, but having been there on many occasions, I have no desire to live there. Additionally, it is said Mexico has four times the crime as the United States. And get this it's estimated 90% of the crime in Mexico is not reported. Portugal appears to me. Live and Interest Overseas Magazine lists Braga, Portugal. As the second best place to live. They had some sort of program called the Golden Visa, which became quite popular. Having said that, in 2023, they pulled back on some of the aspects of the program that has made some folks lose interest. It does have year round mild weather and high quality health insurance. Its cost of living is generally more affordable than other European countries, 36% lower than the United States. And it's rated seventh safest country in the world the only problem is the americans have kind of worn out their welcome there he said the netherlands i've been to amsterdam and didn't particularly care for it especially having come from switzerland but it was listed so i felt compelled to tell you about it it's ranked as one of the happiest countries but not for me bicycles are as thick as sleeves something they boast about believe it or not More than 31,000 Americans live there now. It is expensive to live there, and income taxes are high, up to 50% of salaries. The weather is usually crappy, too. No thanks. Germany is an option. I've been across its western side. More than 121,000 Americans live there. But I have to wonder, how many of our American soldiers and their families It is it as a robust welfare system, which means they probably have high taxes, too. Bachelor also states that it doesn't have the conveniences Americans are used to, as all stores are closed on Sunday. Add to that a huge bureaucracy system, and I have to think Germany would not be my cup of tea. Singapore, as in Asia. Quick, where exactly is Singapore? I had to look it up to find it. There it is. Cradled between Malaysia, Indonesia, and Cambodia. I got a warm and sweaty just looking at the map. It is said it is a top financial and investment hub in Asia if you are into that. But it's expensive and muggy to live there. No thanks. Costa Rica was on the list, hasn't Central America's tropics? They do have an excellent healthcare system, but as I said, in the tropics, They also have affordable cost of living, but it's in the tropics. Has tax incentives, too, but it's in the tropics. It's home to six active volcanoes, has frequent earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic activity. I don't even want to visit there, let alone live there. Panama, the Miami of Central America, a major financial hub that links North and South America. Isn't that in the tropics, too? It's the name of a great song by Van Halen, but not for me. Italy. Now this one is interesting. I'll just read for you what Bachelor said. Access to some of the world's most popular tourist cities, picturesque countrysides, and immersion in a culture that values family food and wine. What's not to love about Italian life? Italy's healthcare system is also good, and many expats, Give a big thumbs up to the overall friendliness of Italians. He also says employment prospects aren't great, but in my case, I need a computer and the internet to be all set. English isn't widely spoken, but since I'm hard of hearing, perhaps the missus can learn some Italian for us. It is said one would need to hire an attorney to buy a home, and don't be in a hurry as the bureaucracy moves at glacial speed. France. Yeah, right. Forget about it. Spain has the top-rated destination in Valencia. They offer the lowest cost of living in Western Europe, and with a great climate, English is spoken in most of the big cities. They, too, have high-quality health care. Be careful about which visa you pick to live there, though. Anyway, if the unthinkable does happen and Mike or Michelle wins the election, I may be saying Viva España just as soon as I learn how to pronounce it. Hope to see you there. We can form our own version of the villages without all the gonorrhea. Hey, this episode comes to you from the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Group. Everybody needs insurance, so why not buy from the great folks at George Ryan Jr. Insurance who supports programs like mine? You can depend on the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Company, so please go ahead and give George a call at 815-936-0075. That's 815-936-0075. Or look them up on their website and save on insurance at grinsure.com. Don't look now, my friends, but the mullet is making a resurgent and not just in hockey or professional wrestling. Would you believe there is actually a hockey stadium in Phoenix called the Mullet Center? I kid you not. Then, someone with whom thinks they are an expert on the subject of long hair in back bloviates that the modern-day mullet originates from David Bowie's genre-defining, norm-defined persona, Ziggy Stardust. Bull. Then somebody else came up with a history of the mullet, believe it or not. They must have a lot of extra time. They state it dates back as far as the 8th century B.C. That's 3,000 years ago, folks, documented by the Abantes tribe in Homer's the Iliad, and the nomadic Huns. The Greek scholar Procopius described the mullet cut off at the templates, leaving the part behind to hand down to a great length in a senseless fashion. Makes me wonder if my dad studied Greek. Another term for the mullet is hockey hair, which my grandson Jamie proudly sports. Our son had a beautiful blonde mullet back when he was about five years old. And I have to admit, from time to time, I've even sported a mullet. While researching this, though, I did find out that if a balding man grows his hair long in the back, it is not considered a mullet, but a scullet. Fortunately, thanks to my maternal grandfather, I still have a full head of hair and am not subject to such tomfoolery. The Weber clan has not been as lucky as me, though. I could have learned much about the mullet in Hollywood also, but since I have no respect for that group, I just skim past it. Anyway, I for one am glad it's coming back. It looks good on my 13-year-old grandson. You go, Jamie. Bummer. One of my all-time favorite Chicago Cubs, Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg, has been diagnosed with metatastic prostate cancer and has begun treatment. He won nine straight Golden Glove Awards and an All-Star for ten consecutive years. I met Ryan once at an insurance party in Chicago. You never met a more shy, conservative man than him. He was just not a very good conversationalist. Or perhaps it was me. Hey, just how goddamn stupid does Major General Pat Ryder think we are? The Pentagon press secretary claims we are not at war in the Middle East, while at the same time our military continues to bombard the area with strikes. When a U.S. F-18 Super Hornet fighter jet is deployed off a U.S. aircraft carrier, dropping off tomahawk missiles on the Houthis, an arm of Iran, what the hell do we call it? We have at least five warships in the Red Sea for crying out loud, and the Houthis are hitting us back. Not content with just hitting the Houthis, the U.S. also struck three facilities used by another Iranian-backed militia, Kataib Hezbollah, after they struck us. And of course, Iran, the land of no brains and too much testosterone, has warned us of a wider war in the area. Foreign Minister Hussein, I kill you, Abdullayan, is shaking a finger in our direction and saying things that don't make sense. I think he also says something about Biden's mother, but I'm hard of hearing. If Major General Ryder tells you the check is in the mail or that Bidenomics is good for the country, don't believe the son of a bitch. And has an update to this today, the day I'm recording this, we learn of three American soldiers killed by Houthis. We're at war, folks. I'd like to mention a couple of people that passed this past week that I really like. The first is the folk musician Melanie, whose full name was Melanie Safka. I came across her music when listening to the Woodstock 69 album. I have to admit that being a male chauvinist pig and all, I never cared that much for female musicians that were not named Beth Hart. But something about this gal's singing really struck me back in the early 70s. After being introduced to her music, I found an album in my mother's stack, and I kind of borrowed it for a few years after that. Melanie was 76 years old. R.I.P., Melanie. The other is Charles Osgood, the longtime CBS Sunday morning host. I've been watching that program all the way back to Charles Kuralt in the early 80s. It was both those gents' easygoing manner that originally attracted me to that show, which I still watch all these years later with Katie Pauley. Did you see the Arizona GP chair, Jeff DeWitt, resigned after trying to bribe Carrie Lake not to run for the Senate in Arizona in 2024? Claiming he was set up by Lake in a leaked audio recording containing what she said was bribes for not running, he decided to resign last Wednesday. Of course, DeWitt accuses Lake of trying to destroy him rather than admitting he was a dirtbag. He offered her money in corporate board seats if she didn't run. Lake, by the way, is an ardent Trump fan. Hey, DeWitt, I'm available for that money in those seats. As many of you know, I live in Arizona and was horrified by what Arizona did to Trump in the 2020 election. The media would have you believe Arizona is now a purple state. Not red like it has always been. If you lived here, you would see there is no way Arizona is purple. It was said the head of the Republican Party here in Arizona was anti Trump and would do whatever it took to get rid of him. It was also said it was due to their closeness to the McCain family. This pretty much shines light on this theory. I can't believe I voted for McCain for president at one time. Can I have my vote back? Just for the record. Did you see Trump advisor Peter Navarro was sentenced to four months in jail plus a $9,500 fine for contempt of Congress after defying a subpoena before Congress for the J6 Capital Misunderstanding? Hmm. Who else do we know to fight a congressional subpoena but he is out snorting coke, chasing hookers, and having a good old time instead? Damn kids, I hate him. 20-year-old amateur golfer Nick Dunlap just won a PGA Tour event last week, 20 years old. The first since 1991 when Phil Mickelson did it. He won the American Express Tournament, the youngest amateur to win a tour event since 1910. With his win, he decided to pull out of the Farmers Insurance Open to go home to Alabama. He's also won the U.S. Amateur Championship last year and before that, the U.S. Junior Championship. With the win, he can turn pro and join the 2024 PGA Tour if he wants, as he has automatic membership through the 2026 season. Given that he couldn't accept the $152 million prize money for his win, he's probably giving some serious thought to turning pro. That money went to the three golfers who finished behind him in a three-way tie for second. Here's a trivia question for you avid golfers. One man has accomplished this feat twice, winning a PGA Tour event as an amateur. The answer will be at the end of this podcast. And now for my latest commentary, A Vote for Biden. The commentary appeared in a newspaper I also write for that bears mentioning not so much for its journalistic excellence and insight, but for its lack of accuracy. This piece was so far left it could have been written for the Washington Compost or even Russia's Pravda. The piece I'm referring to is another hatchet job written against Donald Trump. Readers to that paper would have expected nothing less. Trump seems to be the Darth Vader to liberals. In the opening paragraph of the commentary, it throws out some red meat to get fearful Democrats' attention. Trump is going to make himself dictator and wreak revenge. On his enemies. With that statement, bricks fell off of buildings and mothers took their children off the street. It stopped just short of claiming Trump would eat puppies for breakfast, too. Our scribe uses all the fear mongering similar to today's media. Claims are made that Trump is lying while at the same time using a mistruth spread about Trump. A classic Saul Alinsky socialistic stunt. Words and phrases were used like, plain to his far-right base. Does he really believe 75 million Trump voters are to the far-right? We on the far-right could only dream of that. He would act as a dictator. Trump joked he would act as one on the first Davis presidency in order to stop illegal immigration and to drill for oil. If it requires a dictator to get those two deeds done, where do I sign up? Anti-Democracy Rhetoric This charge was leveled for Trump's crude Christmas quote for his enemies to rot in hell. While Trump's words were cringeworthy, as he is wont to do, they certainly weren't anti-democratic, nor hardly examples of rhetoric. I'm not sure that the term anti-democracy rhetoric applies here. The opinion piece went further. Defending the actions of Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley. He was the turncoat who actually called China without Trump's authorization or direction. Twice. Trump had every right to lambast Milley into hell. In a sane world, Milley's keys would be sitting in a federal prison. The attack continues much longer. I get it. That fella isn't going to vote for Trump, and that's his American right. But that leaves him with three options. One, he can stay home on election day. Not very American, but that's his right. It would be a vote for Trump, though. Two, he could vote for Robert Kennedy Jr. While I disagree passionately with Kennedy's energy policies, he's an interesting choice. He would probably make a good president, especially since his extended leftist royal family despises him. Kennedy doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning, which would also be a vote for Trump. And three, vote for Biden, hoping that his vote will be multiplied many times over by deceitful harvesting or mail in balloting and voting machine malfunctions. These are the tricks that got Biden into office while campaigning from his basement. A vote for Biden would mean the writer is fine with the millions of illegal immigrants flooding this country and overtaxing the economies of both states and cities. They bring drugs, diseases, and terrorists with them. Many of those poor illegals are now freezing out in the cold. Voting for Biden means the writer is okay with the effects of Bidenomics that has crippled the budgets of so many Americans. Voting for Biden means warmongering paid for by taxpayers will continue. We would continue to keep pouring billions into Ukraine and Israel, so kickbacks can be funded to congressional war hawks. It also means it was fined to leave billions of dollars of military equipment to the enemy. Voting for Biden means being as peachy with the Biden crime syndicate misdeeds and kickbacks at the expense of Americans. A vote for Biden means a man showing signs of dementia at age 81 at the helm of the world's top job would remain there until 86 years old. Worse, if Biden becomes incapacitated, his replacement might be Kamala Harris. Voting for Biden means being cool with a Democrat ploy of keeping Trump embroiled in nefarious court proceedings to prevent him from being elected, or worse, being able to do his job. How is that good for America? Yet, when Trump speaks of retaliation, he's labeled a dictator. Folks, the list of people actually hurt by Trump while in office is small, minute compared to Biden's time in office. In fact, most people thrived while Trump was in office, something that can't be said of Biden. Ask yourself, are you better off now under Biden than you were when Donald Trump was your president? So, by the way, it was Frank Stranahan who won a PGA event as an amateur twice. The 1948 Miami Open and the 1945 Durham War Bond Tournament. That's all I got for you, folks. If you like this podcast, please tell others. If you'd like to advertise on this podcast, please let me know. I could always use more sponsors. And if you haven't gotten a copy of my book yet, I urge you to do so. Roll Me Away is the name of the book, and it's on all major internet sites. And you can check out my blog at www.weberswhippingpost.com. Thanks, folks. Talk to you next week.